John chapter 1. Let's read again. We started here last week. Let's read again, starting in verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Father God, I pray now you'll help us as we look at your word. In just these few moments, speak, uh, speak to my heart afresh with this. Help me, Lord, to, uh, to, to uh, be filled with your spirit, to say the things that I ought to and nothing else. Help me, Lord, to be bold where I should and meek where I should. Help, help, just help, Lord, I pray this message to be what it should be as it goes forth. And then I pray that all of us, as we receive it, would receive it with open hearts, open minds, and responsive hearts. I pray, Lord, that we would this day focus on this truth and respond to it. So speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years before Beth, my first wife, passed into heaven, we began collecting nativity scenes. One of my last memories of Beth was with her haggling over the price of one such nativity scene while we were on vacation in the Poconos. It was the very day before she died. And of course now Kathy and I are married and we have our own uh, traditions that we're working on and, and things like that. But we still set up a few nativity scenes around the house every year and that particular one gets set up uh, every year. I've always been fascinated by nativity scenes. I think they're a, a, a thing that we need to see more of at Christmas time. Now this this evening, as I mentioned, Lord willing, we are going to show this movie, The Nativity Story, which is it's just a beautiful retelling of the birth of Christ. Uh, it's not entirely 100% accurate according to Scripture, but it's 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 a pretty good one. Uh, you know, it ends with their birth in the manger, and the expected characters are all seen there. Mary and Joseph are there, of course. The baby is there. The shepherds are gathered. There's animals around. Even the three wise men make an appearance. And in the final scene of that movie, if you, if you come and watch it tonight, you'll see that as the camera pans back, they've actually set it to look exactly like a nativity scene. It just looks like you're looking at a live nativity the way they end that thing, just as we have here at our, well, not live, but as we have at the front of the sanctuary and in our homes and things like that. There are many common elements in nativity scenes. The characters, the setting, all that. Wise men are almost always included, even though that's an error. The Bible tells us that the wise men probably were not there for at least another two years, but they're usually shown there. There's always peace. There's always this peaceful baby. There's always this idyllic scene. and Those looking on are always doing so with awe and adoration and acceptance. But John here, in the first 11 verses of his gospel, makes it clear that all that changed. That acceptance thing, that changed. In fact, it vanished for the most part. Once that little baby grew into adulthood and spent three years ministering and preaching the gospel to a people who, for the most part, rejected him. 
You read on in the Gospels. You read on in the Gospel of John or any of the other three Gospels, and you find out that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, for the most part, they rejected him. The majority of the common people even rejected him. Even his own brothers and sisters rejected him during his life. Toward the end of his ministry, Jesus told a parable, and here's the parable he said. He, he told them, he said, a certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. And now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant, and they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, Certainly not. And then he looked at them. And said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people. For they knew he had spoken this parable against them. They knew. They had rejected him. And they knew he was talking about them in that parable. Notice what John said here in verses 10 and 11. He said, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. From those two verses, I see two terrible truths. Two terrible truths. The first is this. Many do not receive Christ. Many do not receive Christ. It was true then, and it's true today. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, Matthew chapter 7. On another occasion, Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? Because everybody had abandoned and rejected. And he looked at the twelve and asked, are you going to go away too? In Luke chapter 18, he wondered, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? It's a sad but true truth, it's a terrible truth, that many do not receive Christ. They didn't then, and they don't now. Now, the indictment in verse number 11 is primarily directed to the Jews, his own people. That's referring primarily to the Jews. But if you look at verse 10, it's talking there about the whole world. Many did not accept it, and many do not today. And we could spend an awful lot of time now trying to figure out why people then didn't reject him or didn't accept him and rejected him, but but let's forget that. Let's talk about today. Why do people today not turn to Christ? Why do people today not accept him? And I, I just jotted down a few thoughts, a few things that came to my mind, and maybe you can think of some to add to the list. But I think some people uh, just find the account of Jesus unbelievable. I think that's the reason some people don't accept Christ. Unbelievable, they say. Isaiah asked, who has believed our report in Isaiah 53 and verse number 1? And just as in his day, I think many today simply look at this thing and say it is insane. It's crazy. It's nonsense. It's fairy tale. It's an unbelievable thing. I'm reminded of a conversation I had, and I've shared it with you before, about a fellow that I was talking to one time across my kitchen table. This was a person who claimed, claimed to be a Christian. He was a member of a very... uh, 
what I would consider unchristian denomination. I wouldn't even consider it a church because they don't really believe, and his belief reflected that. But uh, I was trying to witness to him and share with him the gospel. And at one point in this conversation, I looked across the table at him and I said, just answer me one question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died on the cross and rose from the grave? And I can still see his face. I can still see the way he looked at me. He looked at me with this sad look. He looked at me like I had two heads, basically. Like he couldn't believe anybody could be so naive and so stupid. And he, with this smirk on his face, said, of course not. And, of course, that's the reason a lot of people don't accept Christ. They can't believe the miraculous, glorious story that we have read and that we have seen and that we have sung this morning. Some just find it unbelievable. I think another reason some people reject Christ is because they've been taught something by other religions, other teachers, that has blinded them to the real truth. They have been taught, for example, that if you just do your best, if you do enough good works, those good deeds are somehow going to earn you a place in heaven. Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg, who is former mayor of New York City and one of those currently running for president in our country, said one time, quote, I'm telling you that if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I have earned my place in heaven. It's not even close, end quote. And he went on to list some of the things that he thought were his good works, which were equally as deluded as that statement. But I, I don't, blinded. Blinded by what he has been taught. He is the member of a particular religion that basically teaches your good works are going to get you in. Many are like that. And it's just human nature, isn't it, to think that we need to do something. We need to have some kind of good works in order to be saved. And there are plenty of preachers and teachers who will say that you do, even if they're wrong. Jesus, in his parable of the sower and the soils, mentioned three reasons. Why some people reject Christ. He said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. He who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. He who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world and he becomes unfruitful. So Jesus said three things there. He said some hear and don't understand and Satan takes advantage of that. Directs their thoughts away from the truth. He said some hear and even seem to believe but their response is only emotional and they don't last very long. He said some hear and might even see the truth of the gospel but They can't get past their love for this world or their riches. So they remain lost. So there's three more reasons why some people never come to Christ. Some people never come to Christ, and and, and maybe this is one of the greatest reasons, because, frankly, they just love their sin. They love the things that they're doing, which they know to be sinful. The Bible doesn't say you've got to give a whole lot to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But it does say you need to repent of your sin. And a lot of people don't want to do that. And so they, they love their sin and they don't, get, they don't give it up. And, of course, I think the main reason, the primary reason most reject Christ is pride. Pride. Pride that says, I'm as good as the next guy. Pride that says, 
uh, looks at what God has done in His Word and decides there's a better way. Pride that says, a loving God wouldn't, or I can't accept a God who, pride, that basically says you, you, you have a better way, that you're, you're more knowledgeable than God when he describes what it is to be saved. I wonder this morning if anybody in this room falls into any of those categories. Is there anybody here who has never trusted Christ and you see yourself in any of those? Maybe you sing along with us, oh come let us adore him, but... But in your heart, you're really saying, I'd rather just ignore him. Maybe you sing joy to the world, the Lord has come, but has he come to you? Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have a personal understanding of the joy that we sing about, that joy, unspeakable joy we sang about this morning? Is that real to you? Sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, but have you ever really asked Emmanuel to come to you? I wonder if there's anybody like that. You see, if any of that, or all of it, is foreign to you, if you find it weird, if you find it quaint, if, you, if you're like my buddy who sat across the table from me and just thinks we're all deluded individuals for believing in this kind of stuff, then you need to consider this terrible truth that he's mentioned here. Some people are just not going to come to Christ. And the second terrible truth is this. Only those who receive Christ will be saved. Only those who receive Christ. Now, that's the positive way of, of stating this second terrible truth. Stated negatively, it sounds like this. Not everybody will be saved. Some will die lost. That's the negative way of saying it. I was recently asked a question. Where in the Bible does it say that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Well, here's one place right here. This particular verse is one. The ones who are in the family of God, the ones who are given the right to be children of God, John said, are the ones who receive Christ and only them. That's the positive way of stating that only those in Christ are in at all. That's true. But there's plenty of other references to that. I mean, plenty of other places we could look that says Jesus is the only way. How about John 14, 6? I don't know how anybody gets past this verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except through me. How can you be any clearer than that? He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son of God shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. The Bible's clear. The Bible is clear. Those who receive Christ will be saved. Only those who receive Christ will be saved. There is no other way. If you got one of those satanic coexist bumper stickers on your car, you need to peel it off. You need to throw it away. It's nonsensical. You need to hear the truth. There are not many ways to heaven. All religions do not worship the same God. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is a message from the Scripture, that's it. It's, it's the absolute truth. And it would seem, I know it would seem, such an intolerant way to talk, and it would seem to be such an arrogant thing to say, if not by me, certainly by Jesus Christ, were it not for the rest of the story. I mean, John told us these two terrible truths in verses 10 and 11. Many do not receive Christ, and only those who do receive Christ can be saved. But then he gave us verse 12. I mean, look at verse 12. What a glorious verse. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe 
in his name. It's one of the most wonderful verses in all the Bible. It certainly is a glorious explanation of why we celebrate the birth of Christ this time of year and and, and what was really being depicted in all those nativity scenes. I mean, notice the first word. Notice the first word of verse number 12. But. You ought to circle that word. That's a beautiful word. That's a glorious word. It's It's a wonderful word. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. But. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But. Terrible truth, number one, many do not receive Christ. But. Terrible truth, number two, all those who don't receive Christ die lost. But. What a great word. Brilliant. It's wonderful. It's such a happy word. It's such a needed word. Because it turns our attention from two terrible truths to what I would say are two really, really wonderful. And those truths are these. Number one, salvation is given to all who believe. And number two, salvation is given to all who receive. Verse 12 again, it's many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. I wonder this morning, do you believe? Do you believe? I mean, what if I were to point out to you more of the story? Let's not just stop with the, with the manger and the babe and the birth. What if I were to tell you that that baby who is depicted so peacefully lying in that manger, grew into adulthood and became a preacher. What if I were to tell you that he went about preaching and teaching the gospel, that he healed those who were sick, all of them, every sick person who came to him, he healed. He fixed those who were broken. He made blind eyes see. He made lame legs walk. He made deaf ears hear. I wonder, do you believe that? Do you believe it? What if I were to tell you that when confronted with people who were out of their minds, possessed with demons, he tossed those demons out and restored sanity to the possessed. Mary Magdalene was one such person. Mary Magdalene, both Mark and Luke tell of her, uh, tell that she, uh, that, that Jesus had cast out of her seven demons. Both Mark and Luke say. Mark says in Mark 16, 9, I don't know what's the matter with my microphone here today. I didn't want to stay on my face. I'm having troubles. Mark 16.9, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. Luke 8, 2, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. And Jesus just cast them out, healed her completely. There was another man mentioned in the Bible. The Bible says he was so filled with demons, and when Jesus asked his name, he says, We are legion, for we are many. I don't know how many is in a legion. I've known that sometime in the past, but I can't remember right now. Lots and lots of demons, and Jesus cast them out, and the man was completely changed. From then on, the Bible says he was in his right mind. He did these kinds of things, and I wonder, do you believe that? Do you believe it? What if I were to tell you that the religious leaders of the day didn't much care for Jesus? They actually tried to hinder his ministry. They eventually became actively engaged in doing everything they could to trip him up, to trap him, to try to destroy him. I wonder, do you believe that? What if I were to tell you that after three years of ministry, the people turns against him? That he was tried in a kangaroo court, even though he had committed no crime. That he was sentenced to death on a Roman cross, even though he was completely innocent in every way. That he was crucified there and died on that cross. That he was taken down from that cross, pronounced dead, wrapped up in heavy burial clothes and laid in a grave. 
dead. Do you believe it? What if I were to tell you that three days later, three days later, on a wonderful Sunday morning, the first day of the week, he stepped out of that grave alive again? What if I were to tell you that for 40 days after that, people saw him? Mary Magdalene, that woman that he had cast demons out of, saw him. His disciples who were hiding from the authorities saw him on multiple occasions. A couple of guys who were on a on a road trip to a little town called Emmaus, saw him. Paul said that there was a time when more than 500 people saw him at once. His little brother James had a personal audience with him and saw him. What about it? What if I were to tell you that he died and then was alive again, that he died and three days later rose again, that he was the only man ever to have defeated death? I wonder, do you believe it? Do you believe it? You see, these are important questions. Because John said here in the first two Awesome truth. The first of two awesome truths he mentioned in verse 12. You need to believe it. You need to believe it. And that awesome truth is all throughout the Bible. It is belief. It is faith in Jesus Christ, not our good works. It is faith in Jesus Christ that saves. Let me just read you some verses. John 3.36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Notice the word belief there. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. John 6.40, this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. John 11.25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. John 12.46, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. John 20.31, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that you believing you may have life in his name. Acts chapter 8, as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Acts 10.43, to him all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Acts 16.31, so they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I wonder, do you believe it? Do you believe it? You need to. You have to. You have to. If you want to be saved, there is no other way. The terrible truth that John told here is that many will not believe and will die lost. And then the awesome truth is that you don't have to be in that number if you will but believe. There's more, though. John said something else. He mentioned a second awesome truth. Yes, you need to believe. He also said you need to receive. It's really two sides of the same coin. Believing and receiving. I eat out a lot. Perhaps you can tell that. I'm not sure. There might be some clues. But uh, I eat out a lot. I like to eat. And I like to eat with friends. And so oftentimes I'll be at a restaurant, and Kathy and I will be at a restaurant, and we'll be finishing up a meal. And then the waitress comes by with the bill, and then the dance begins. You know the dance, right? Where she said, who gets the check? And we start arguing over the check. I'll take the check. No, I'll take the check. No, I'll take the check. And uh, somebody finally gets it and pays it. Jesus' death on the cross was a gift. 
It was a payment of a debt he did not owe. He did not die because of his crimes. He died because of yours. He died because of mine. His death was payment for our sins. He picked up the check for us. And the problem with many people is this. They won't let him do it. They won't receive the gift that he died to give them. This Christmas, you will no doubt receive gifts. You will no doubt give gifts. Depending on the custom in your home, Christmas morning, Christmas Eve, whenever you do this kind of thing, gifts are going to be handed out. Eager hands are going to receive those gifts. They're going to be opened, and they're going to be accepted. Jesus has a gift for you, but you must receive it. You have to reach out. You have to take it. It's an active thing. Believing is something that takes place in the heart and in the mind. Believing. Receiving is a matter of the will. You have to reach out and take it when it is offered to you. And you do that simply by asking for it. You you, you say something like this, Jesus, I know you died for me. I do believe as best I can. I might have questions, but I choose to believe. And I want the gift of salvation you died to give me. I want it. And I receive you as my Savior. I wonder, have you ever received him? Terrible truth number one is that many will not receive him. Terrible truth number two is that those who do not receive him will die lost. But what awesome truths come next? If you will but believe and but receive, he can change your life and save your soul forever. I want to end our sermon a little bit differently than normal. We're going to show you just a little video clip in just a moment. So you can cue it up, brother, but don't start it yet. Because I have to, I have to set it up a little bit. In this video clip, you'll see two different characters. It's only a couple of minutes long. One of the characters is Nicodemus, and one of the characters is Mary Magdalene that I mentioned a moment ago. In this particular account, Nicodemus has not yet met Jesus Christ. Of course, we know Nicodemus in the Bible as the one who came to Jesus by night. We know that Nicodemus uh, eventually was a saved Pharisee. But at this point, where you're going to see this story start, He's not yet. He hasn't met Jesus. He's curious. He doesn't know what's going on. And he had tried to heal Mary Magdalene himself. We have no evidence of that in the Bible, so that part of it's fictitious. But in this story, he had. And he doesn't understand how she's healed now. So he comes to her in the street, and he wants to know what happened to you. How did you get healed? So go ahead and play the clip, brother. I just want to understand... How would it happen? The next two of us. How long after my visit did you feel the change? It wasn't anything you did. It was someone else. Someone else? He called me Mary. He said... I am his. I am redeemed. And it was so. Who did this? I don't know his name. And even if I did, I could not tell you. Why not? His time for men to know has not yet come. His time for men? 
performs miracles and seeks no credit? What does he look like? Is he a member of Sanhedrin? Would you at least know him if you saw him again? I don't know why I am sharing this with you. I, I don't understand it myself. But here is what I can tell you. There was one way. And now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. I was one way. And now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. That can be you this Christmas. The awesome truth of God's word is that if you will but believe and receive Christ, you will be saved. You will not be the exception to that rule. You will be saved. No matter what you might be now, you can be different. You can be whole. You can have eternal life. You can be forgiven. That, that babe that we see in the manger in so many nativity scenes, he can and he will make the difference if you will only believe and if you will only receive. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Let's pray. And let's stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Right before I pray, a couple of questions. You know what they are. Do you believe? Have you received him as your Savior and Lord? If not, we're going to sing. We're going to invite you to do that right now, this, this day. This Christmas season, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who would just let me pray for you. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you're just not sure about it, but you want that gift of salvation. Anybody at all, would you just slip your hand up? Nobody's looking around. I'll just pray for you. Anybody at all here this morning? All right, let me talk to the Christians here today then. Since all of you are now claiming to be Christians, let me talk to you for just a moment. I wonder how many of you here today might have someone in your life that you know is not saved, you know has never believed, and has never received Christ. How many of you would say with an uplifted hand, that is the case in my life. I have somebody on my heart right now. Yeah, that's what I thought. We're going to sing in just a moment. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. If you're here today and you didn't raise your hand, but you do realize that you need to trust Christ, I want to encourage you to step out. We're going to sing. We're going to give you the opportunity to come forward. And, and we would just love to pray with you and for you. And maybe answer any questions that you might have about this thing. And for the rest of you who did raise your hand, as we sing in a moment, maybe you need to come and let us all pray with you for these loved ones who need this Christmas season to know who that babe in the manger really was and is. So as we sing, you come if the Lord is working in your heart.